I have to call you out because when you talk about clearing all your sticky notes away, I'm pretty sure that was a meeting with us and you yes, did you not get was. away. You did not get away with it clean. <laughs> <laughs> I am just like so thankful I didn't do anything super embarrassing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. podcast. In today's episode, Brad and Anita answer questions from you, our listeners. Heads up though, not all of their answers are gems. Yeah, that answer was way more helpful than mine. Thank you, Bradley. Glad I have you on the show with me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> also, Bradley gives his take about how he manages his cat crashing his meetings. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. A bad case is that the cat walks in and stands on my desk while I'm interviewing. The worst case is that I shut my door all the way and the cat bangs on my door while I'm interviewing. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In this episode, we are going to be having our first Q&A episode of this series. And this is a little bit different than last series, because if you know, episodes one through 15, that was series one of the show. We saved all of the Q&A episodes for the last three episodes of the show. This time, we're going to be mixing them in every few episodes so that we can hopefully get your questions answered more quickly. And the questions we're answering are going to be more applicable to the episodes that you're actually listening to. So we're excited to dive in and actually answer questions from the community instead of you guys just listening to what we have to say. And here to help me answer these questions, as always, is Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going pretty well. I am patiently counting down the days to my next trip, which is soon, but I am very excited to answer some of these questions. The, it was a lot of fun listening to the voicemails. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions. We got so many, and we're going to address a few of those today. So let's go ahead and get started and bring up the first one. Hey, Bradley and Talent Stacker team. Maybe you've already answered this in your course, so I apologize if this is information you've already put out there. But something I am curious about is advice for people on what to do just before an interview, because I feel like that is the most nerve wracking time, you know, that 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes, a minute right before that interview starts, you know, whether it's virtual or in person. I think that's when people can easily psych themselves out. And even after all the practice and preparation you've done, you know, what are some great strategies to use to put yourself in a calm, confident and peaceful mindset, but obviously not too relaxed so that you can bring your focus and personality to the interview? So, yeah, would love to hear um, some tips on that. And I think other people would, too. Thanks. Great question. All right. So for the 30 minutes ahead of time, and I just added this to my interview prep checklist, is to spend time cleaning up your desk because there occasionally might be a glitch when you are, you know, when you're entering the room for the interview, sometimes there's a camera there that shows your background and you think that no one can see. Sometimes that may glitch. So you will... <laughs> Just trust me, do this ahead of time so that doesn't happen because that happened to me before. And at least it was with people I knew, but they watched me for five minutes, remove hundreds of post-it notes off my desk and clean it up for like five minutes. Anyways, so aside from that, probably 15 minutes before, I usually do some sort of power pose. There's this really famous TED Talk that really uh, 
talks about the psychology of it. So some power poses you can do are the Wonder Woman. There's also this one that kind of makes you look like a big X. So you put your hands up like you're doing a Y from the YMCA and just hold that for at least 60 seconds. It makes a big difference. One other tip that will help to calm down, and I would probably use this for if you're if you're going into a panel interview, this trick I, I learned from my mentor, Emma BF, she taught me to do this before speaking to larger groups is to practice box breathing. It's not for everyone, but this box breathing technique helps calm your nerves. So it's basically you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and then hold for four seconds, and then just keep repeating that. For some people, it helps. For some, maybe not. Um, I have a feeling this is probably not one of the things Bradley does because he seems like a high energy person. So Bradley, I know it's been a while since you've done an interview for a job, but do you have any tips? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I I guess you're right. I'm probably not interviewing for jobs today or this week, but, um, and I haven't done that in a while, but I do have calls that are a little nerve wracking for me. And they are things that I work up to and even recording this podcast, especially as you know, like when we were first sitting down to do those first couple of episodes, that was pretty intimidating having not podcasted before, but I have to call you out because when you talk about clearing all your sticky notes away, I'm pretty sure that was a meeting with us and you did not get away. You did not get away with it clean. (laughs) I am just like so thankful I didn't do anything super embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, we were sitting here trying to talk to you and we could see you, but you couldn't see us. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was the best case scenario. And I'm pretty sure some of our listeners likely have some horror stories. So yeah, definitely, you know, be aware. I would say if your camera is on, just pretend that there's a potential that somehow someone can see (laughs) what is happening. So That might sound a little scary, but cover it up when you're not using it. Make sure it's turned off, pointed away from you, whatever you want to do. But actual tips, like getting to tips. For me, no, I'm not like, uh, I haven't used a lot of techniques and I'm probably famously poor at not doing things that people say you should do. Um, But I'll just tell you what I do and and what works for me. So what I like to do is, is stay busy leading up to a meeting like this. Like I might come into my office 30 minutes ahead of time. And just make sure technically everything is ready, like cameras working, the mic is working, my computer's plugged in. I know where the meeting link is and and sort of queue it up so I can click on it quickly. Make sure I know, especially when interviewing, like don't get mixed up if you have three interviews this week, like make sure you know it's that company, that's who you're talking to. It's not another one. Maybe the people who are involved, like just remember to go back on LinkedIn and maybe look them up and you kind of know their titles and who's going to be on the call with you. A few little things like that. And I would say I would do that 30 minutes before. And then what I would do is I would leave the office like I'm prepped. I'm ready. I know that everything's all right, like technically from like a health perspective with my ability to meet on a virtual interview. And then I would say, you know, don't complete, don't go outside, like don't totally distract yourself, but maybe just talk to your spouse talk to your kids, whatever you want to do. Cause usually that can get you in your normal state, like whatever your normal state is. Cause that's who you want to be. And then maybe 10 minutes before your interview, come back up, double check, make sure everything's still in order. Nothing you didn't trip over your cord and unplug it or whatnot. And just remind the family that you're going to be interviewing for the next hour so that they give you that time, hopefully. And if you have pets that like to barge in or whatever, like for me, I've got a cat. So I always leave my door cracked because 
A bad case is that the cat walks in and stands on my desk while I'm interviewing. The worst case is that I shut my door all the way and the cat bangs on my door while I'm interviewing. So I would prefer it walk in and cause a little, you know, haha moment than for it to beat the door down and me have to stand up and take my headphones out or something like that. So that would be my advice to not work yourself up the way I keep myself from getting worked up um, is just to stay a little bit busy leading right up to the interview. That cat trick is kind of a, a cool icebreaker tool to use. I know there's a talent slacker member out there who has a pet parrot that has flown in during some of our workshops. And it's always a great icebreaker, relaxer, just makes everyone laugh. And, and I imagine for that to happen in an interview, that would just <laughs> be the icing on the cake because you know everyone's going to remember that interview. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say too, like you mentioned the icebreaker and I'm, I'm like feeling the way that that opens up the interview, right? Like everybody just loosens up, like they had a laugh and you almost feel like you can just talk normally now. Like you can just be yourselves a little bit more once everybody breaks a little bit. And it's so true. Like I, I wish more people would come into interviews, not thinking of it as this very, you know, technical situation that's going to happen and you got to be perfect or you're just going to get removed from the process and you're not going to get the job. Like it is serious. Like it's a big moment, but these are people like you're a real person. The people interviewing you are real people. And we all have things going on at home and in our offices and in our lives. And you can like be open to being yourself because the last thing you want to do is be this absolutely perfect robot on an interview and not get to share any part of who you are, like express sort of the energy that you actually bring. So I would say, you know, I think we can work ourselves up when we think we have to be perfect, but allow yourself not to be perfect and just be yourself. And and if you've prepared properly, then you should feel very anxious, nervous, all those things, but also reasonably confident that you've prepared for this moment and you're going to be able to handle it professionally. That was such a great question. I am ready for the next one. If we can go ahead and tee that up. Hi, Bradley. This is Christy Johnson again. I have one more question. This is regarding setting up your office for success. Once you're hired, once one of us gets a job, I know we've had posts about equipment, stand set up, chairs, standing desks, all that sort of stuff. Would you be able to speak to that? What a typical setup is, what the budget should be, first purchases, anything along those lines. What is the ideal office setup, generally speaking? Thanks a lot. I'm going to jump in and answer this because Bradley has a very unconventional setup and I don't know how he's productive at all. So for me, well, okay, base level, number one thing is you got to get a good chair. If you have to spend money on something, it has to be a chair because you will be sitting at that chair all day. Time will fly by and we, most of us are not as young as we used to be. So getting a good chair is important. Me personally, I mean, if if your company is paying for it and you got a good company that will pay for your office setup, I think Herman Miller's are really popular chairs. They're great. If you're on a budget and still but still want to splurge a little bit on a chair, gaming chairs is a really good option. If you're a health nut, you can go with the yoga ball, but I, I don't know. I've never tested that. I don't know if you could do that all day. I have seen other people who actually have a treadmill and they have a standing desk that seems to work for them. I'm pretty lazy though. So I do have a standing desk, but I've, I've used it like once and then I forgot about it. I just turned to look at it and it's collecting dust. Aside from that, 
I am a multi-screen person. Bradley is not. I don't know how he's gone his whole career with just one screen. I need at least two. So I highly recommend a second monitor. And if if your budget isn't very big, you can always maybe repurpose an old TV or something else as your monitor. But having dual monitors is a must, in my opinion. Bradley, you, you can battle me, but I really <laughs> think having one monitor is impossible to do a job efficiently. In my opinion, it's absolutely ridiculous to have more than one. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, no, I, I get that I'm the odd man out. Yeah, my personal setup, since, I mean, literally since I started working, like I was in an office my first year and they had all these monitors for us at our desks. And I would just not dock my computer into the setup. And I tried to, like, I, I I just didn't see the value for me personally. And on a Mac, I got really good at just command tab to take me to the next window. And for me, it was, I feel that I can get to the next screen with command tab faster than I can divert my eyes and refocus on another screen, but it's up to everyone. Like whatever you want to do is completely up to you. I would say that there's never a set of these five must-haves that everyone has to have. It's it's up to you and what you feel comfortable with. For me, that's literally a laptop and a charger. Now that we're doing a podcast and like YouTube videos, obviously I've got a camera and a mic, but it's still a keyboard and a laptop. That's it, like the keyboard that is attached to the laptop. But if I was giving, giving advice to other people, things I personally do have around the office, multiple chargers. So I like to move around my office. So I bought a couple of extra chargers for my laptop so that if I go grab another seat or I'm sitting in another area that I've always got a charger plugged in just for ease of access. Same thing with phone chargers. I like to make sure I've got, you know, some of the ones where you can just set your phone down on top of it and have your phone charging off to the side or whatever. So I just love to make sure that the technology I am using is always ready to be used. And I don't find myself in a position where I'm waiting or I'm wondering if it's going to last until the end of whatever. Because sometimes, especially like this, like on a podcast, my computer sometimes is, even though it's plugged up, it's using more power than it is charging. So I actually lose a couple of percentage points as we're doing the show, even while I'm powered on. The other thing for me is a marker board. And I wanted to talk about this. Maybe we'll do a full episode on it sometime, but this concept of environmental design, and it's not originated by James Clear, but James Clear has a version of environmental design that he talks about in Atomic Habits. And it's this idea that we all get distracted, right? And maybe I I might be remembering this wrong a little bit, so this might be my version of it, but I'm always going to get distracted. My back's going to hurt, so I'm going to stand up and walk away from my chair. Maybe I need a better chair like Anita mentioned. But the idea is that if I look around my office and I get distracted, I should be distracted by other things that are beneficial to the goals that I have for myself. So for me, I've got this huge marker board. I would say I'm looking at it right now. It's probably a four by four, something like that, like four feet wide, four feet tall, and it's hanging up. And if it's on my marker board, that means it is a priority for me and it's something really meaningful. So I might be working or in a Zoom call or you know, like recording the show. And if I look over there, I might get distracted, but it's going to be by other things that are really important to me meeting my personal goals. And so I think for people who are trying to say, for instance, break into Salesforce jobs, I might literally have a picture frame that has the five things I should be doing on LinkedIn each week, you know, printed out and inside of a picture frame. These are the five things I should be doing this week in order to succeed with my professional branding. And then when you get distracted and looked over at that, that's what you see. So for me, it's more about environmental design and things like 
I have a coffee maker in my office and I have a water, like a pitcher, like a Brita pitcher in my office. And the reason for that is especially when you're working from home, you can, if you leave your office to go get water or go to the bathroom or go get coffee or whatever it is, that introduces an opportunity for you to get majorly distracted by a spouse talking about something that's going on in personal world or a kid to say, Hey, come watch my show or look at what I colored or your dog needs to be let out or whatever else. And you can get distracted from what you were focused on. And if you design a workspace that always is contributing to your professional goals, then you're going to find yourself in a world where you feel much more comfortable. And I think you're operating at a higher efficiency. So yeah, that, that would be my feedback on that. Now I'm looking around my desk and now I want to go through my desk and see what I have. I, I have a really nice mic, but that's because I started podcasting. I do recommend the ring light. The one I got was maybe $20, $25 off of Amazon. And it really makes a difference, especially working remotely and you have virtual meetings. You got to have good lighting. It really does make a difference. In addition, I have my laptop on a thick book. I mean, you can be fancy and buy an actual stand. I just have books stacked and have my laptop within like, I guess, straight eye contact with the camera. You got to have good angles. Um, let's see. I have I have this Costco size jar of Andy's candies. It's not it's a nice to have <laughs> to snack while you're on those long calls. I know you can't see this, but it's a massive <laughs> jar of Andy's candies that Anita has. And then I also not necessary, but I also have some quotes I've written down from uh either books or or people. I have one down from I'm going to butcher his name, James Al Toucher. He's like a, a really Alcher. He, he's a famous author, but uh, it's a good quote. All decisions are either growth decisions or fear decisions. Only growth decisions point in the same direction as your inner compass for success. So stuff like that, just to have a nice environment, as Bradley <laughs> puts it. Yeah, no, you're right. And like an, another thing I have similar to what you just said with that quote is I've got one of those picture frames that basically just cycles through pictures. Um, like you plug it in and <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but it's a digital picture frame and it's just cycling through images. And some of those are inspirational quotes or us at like meetups and like just some of the quotes from members of like their lives have changed and this is the impact we've had. So even if we're having a busy day or a rough day where you know something happens that we wish it wouldn't have, that we're constantly reminded of all the positive that's happening. And I think that's natural for humans. We, we latch on to like one negative thing can have the mental impact of 10 positive things. And so it's nice to give yourself that impact of the 10 positive things so that you can offset, you know, whatever's happening in your day to day. Oh, that's a nice touch. I think I'll steal that or maybe turn my Andy's jar into like a compliments jar <laughs> once there I eat go. all the candy. All right. all right. We're ready for the next question. All right. So our next question is actually not from a voicemail. It's a question that was asked on one of our posts in the Salesforce for Everyone Facebook group by Josiah Lehman. And he says, how do you actually know whether you know enough to hold a job and complete the requirements of the job? Super badges on Trailhead help, but it's hard to know if the actual requirements from employers or clients are going to translate in the real world. What do you suggest we do to tackle this problem, basically? So in a nutshell, you know, we do all the studying on Trailhead, we do all this preparation, but it's not at an actual employer. So how do we know when we're ready? 
<laughs> I don't know how helpful this answer is going to be, but if you can actually complete a super badge, you're probably ready. Like everything you are learning right now on Trailhead and your experiences, it's going to be different at every single job. So to be ready for a job, you just have to be able to research and problem solve. So if you are able to problem solve and complete a super badge, you're ready because those are not easy. And I don't know who did the estimates like eight hours. No, those usually take days. And I also suspect they're made to be realistic because I don't know about anyone else out there, but when I'm doing super badges, I have to leave my computer and go for a walk because I get so frustrated. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think too, we keep in mind, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, no, no one puts pressure on us in a lot of situations. It's actually us putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. So I think we go, well, if I'm going to have a job, then I want to make sure that I can do X, Y, Z. And we're actually creating our own requirements instead of letting the employers create the requirements a lot of times. And so I'll say, first of all, don't exaggerate your experience. Don't be dishonest during the interview process. And I'll say also, don't take a recruiter or a hiring manager or somebody from the community's opinion as the final word. And I'll, I'll sort of explain that. So the, the first thing is like when you're in interviews, you obviously want to be confident and you don't want to mitigate yourself. You don't want to say like, oh, I just got certified, but I, I don't really know. Or, you know, I did a volunteer project, but I was just one of four people. Those kind of things are, I'm hoping to land my first Salesforce job and really get my first chance. Like these are all ways that we accidentally mitigate ourselves by saying how recently we learned Salesforce or how we did a project. And then we sort of shield by saying like, but we, I didn't do that much. And we mitigate ourselves. Like you want to be confident and say, I was on a project. This is what we accomplished. And this is the quantitative output from that project. And it was awesome. And I really enjoyed the experience and I'm looking forward to tackling more challenges. Or I got certified. Um, it was a bit of a process. Uh, obviously it's a multiple choice exam where I have to get a 65, but there is a certain level of study and hours of input that go into doing that. And I was able to do that on my own through my own accountability and making sure that I got that done because I'm serious about a Salesforce career. So when we look at all of that that goes into it, that there are ways that we can talk about ourselves without embellishing it also being true and us highlighting the value of our experience and where we're at. And I bring all of that up to say, when a person hires you, if you are honest with them and they hire you, they should have a good understanding of who you are and where you're at. They shouldn't be expecting you to be an expert. And that's why you'll find that most companies are going to have a ongoing growth plan for employees. They're going to want you to continue training on Trailhead. They're going to expect you to have to Google most of your answers. They're going to expect you to have to ask questions and maybe ask the same question two or three times to get the answer that you're looking for. So don't think that you need to walk into a job, especially an entry-level job on day number one, and just be amazing and an expert and never have questions and get everything done because that's just not the case. If you're honest during the interview process, you're going to be all right because this is the way that they've hired you for who you are and where you're at, not for something else that they're looking for that you're not because you've been honest about it. So uh, that would be my feedback. There's a variety. It depends on the company, right? You might need to be two years of experience for somebody to hire you and for you to be a fit for them on the job. But then other people, you may not even have to be certified for them to consider you a good fit and ability to grow on the job. So it definitely varies, but just be honest and do your best and truly try to challenge yourself. And if you do that every single day, 
you're inevitably going to be in a position where a lot of employers are interested in you where you're at. Oh, yeah. That answer was way more helpful than mine. Thank you, Bradley. Glad I have you on the show with me. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Let me go ahead and ask the next question, one I can probably answer. So this is from Christine Ellis. I'm an experienced but not yet certified Salesforce admin looking for a better opportunity. What can I do to present myself as a great candidate to recruiters and or hiring managers? All right. I have two answers for this because I actually know Christine. We used to work together back at the hotel. Answer one that will work for everyone is transferable soft skills. Whatever industry you come from, healthcare, education, hospitality, you have some sort of soft skills that you have grown and developed in that career. Lean on those. I've seen it time and time again where people lean on these soft skills. You will be shocked and you will understand when you land your first tech job why soft skills are important. Being able to communicate well, being able to listen is a big part, and being able to listen to understand and not listen to respond. Now, for Christine's case, she's known back at work as the report guru. For any report, I would go to Christine. She's the one that builds it for everyone. And any of you out there who are also like the report person, you lean on that skill because Salesforce uses a lot of reports and dashboards, and that will be applicable to your new role. So Bradley, any other helpful advice you'd like to pitch in? Yeah. So I think it's a good question because it's something that I I think a lot of people, especially early on in the transition, they're, they're not yet certified. And for, for our members, you know, I think the average it's, it's right about five months for going from listening to a show like this to landing a Salesforce job. It's, a, it's about five months. Now, the interesting part is that getting certified typically takes 10 to 15 weeks. So when you convert that over, that's somewhere between, you know, two and a half to, I mean, maybe I'm doing the math horribly wrong, but two and a half to like three and a half months, something like that. So when you look at it and you say, well, the average person, here's a podcast like this, and then they land a job five months later, a solid 50% of that journey was getting certified. So that introduces an interest in saying, well, I'm not certified yet, but how can I fast track my way to showing value to employers? And I think Anita did a great job answering the question. um, So I'm not going to reiterate over transferable skills and all that. It is extremely important. Pay close attention. You do have transferable skills. The one thing that I will point out though, that is typically in a perfect scenario, I would say get certified before you're necessarily applying for jobs or trying to get interviews and things like that. And the reason for that is because a lot of times you will mentally discount yourself because you're not certified yet. And you're giving employers a very tangible way to discount you. And so what you can find yourself in is going into 10 interviews and them saying, you know, we're just looking for somebody with a little bit more experience. And they're discounting you specifically because they interviewed three other people who aren't nearly as qualified as you, but they're certified. So that's easy for the team to go back and say, all right, let's go ahead and count this person out because they're not certified. The other thing it might introduce is that you know, with our members, entry-level salary is just over $72,000. And once again, it can give an employer an excuse to go, wow, this person looks amazing, but they're not certified yet. And like, typically we pay about 70K, but let's offer 60K because they're not certified yet. 
And you might accept that offer because you're doing a similar exercise in your head going like, can I do it? It might be another two months before I get certified. Can I even pass the certification test? I don't know. And you accept an offer that might be a solid 10 or $15,000 less because you've fed up an easy way to discount yourself and have employers discount you. So I would say for your success and that tangible evidence to yourself and to employers, go ahead and get certified first. At the same time, if you've listened to episodes one through eight, you we have harped on this. While you're getting certified, also be working on your professional branding because the day you get certified, you don't want to have a network of zero. The day you get certified, you want to have a network of a thousand. And over those first 12 weeks while you're getting certified, you should be able to get a hundred connections a week fairly easily if you're just staying consistent on LinkedIn. So by the time you get to week 12, you've got a thousand two hundred you know, connections so that when you get certified, you're not saying, I just got certified into the abyss of no one knows you. Instead, you're saying, I just got certified into a crowd, an audience of over a thousand people who are excited for you. That post blows up and that might be your opportunity to make that one connection, to have that one conversation that leads to job landed. And instead of having to struggle and go through interviews with no certification and question your own abilities with no certification, you're in a position of strength, both tangibly and just mentally, so that you can, you know, make sure you know your value and go get what you're worth on day one and sort of skip the struggle and put in the work ahead of time. So that's my long-winded explanation of answering that question and just sort of turning it into why my advice would be get certified prior to trying to jump the gun and get interviews. I wanted to touch on that point. If for some reason you do find yourself with a job offer, not certified, maybe because you've been listening to all the LinkedIn and branding tips and recruiters are just reaching out to you like crazy. If that happens and they try to give you a lower number, negotiate. You can use this tactic where you say, okay, I'm not certified now, but I'm expected to be certified within the next 30, 60, or 90 days. Can we come back to this number in whatever days you agree upon. And like, if I'm certified by then, can I have a bump in the salary or can I have a bonus or something like that? That's a great point. Yeah. All right. So let's tee up one more voicemail question. Hi, guys. My name is Sherry. I'm a 55-year-old, soon-to-be-retired police dispatcher. After 25 years in my current career, I'm looking for something with a better work-life balance. I've done the five-day challenge, and I'm currently working on Trailhead. Salesforce seems to be a good fit for me. I'd like to hear from people in my age group who've successfully pivoted into a career as either an admin or a BA to hear about their experiences, especially related to their age, and to see what kind of obstacles they faced and what they did to overcome them. Thank you guys for everything you do. I really appreciate you. So I hear this, and I've gotten the ageism question a lot. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, it happens. But the good news is people have overcome it. I know people in the younger age bracket and the older age bracket who have to deal with ageism and they were able to land jobs. Now, when I hear your background and I hear your story, I immediately think about all the transferable skills you're not realizing that you have. So write these down for anyone in the similar background, get a note, pad and paper. So one the thing that pops out to me is you can work well under pressure. And trust me, there are some times where pressure is put on you, especially if you're part of a sales force or again, something breaks 
in production and there are angry customers, you will need to be able to work well under pressure. So that's definitely a plus. Your soft skills, I imagine, I've never been a dispatcher before, but I imagine you have to communicate clearly and you also have to communicate with people who are under like high pressure, high stress, maybe emotional and maybe calm them down. So those are excellent skills to have, as well as conflict resolution, another transferable skill you can use in your your normal job as a Salesforce administrator or a business analyst. One other thing that would be really beneficial is you probably also coordinate with multiple people as you're taking these calls, because I imagine they're, I don't know, EMTs, I, I don't know what a dispatcher does exactly, but maybe other police officers or the hospital, I have no idea. But I d- imagine there's multiple people you have to coordinate with, and that is another great skill to have. Yeah, th- those are really good points. And again, I, I think you've touched on something that is going to be a theme of this entire series too, which is transferable skills. And hopefully, you know, I don't know if we could say putting people at ease, but definitely, you know, mitigating the concern that because I don't come from a technical background, because I don't come from a Salesforce background, I can't be a successful Salesforce professional. And it's just not true. It's absolutely not true. I mean, just about all of our members, uh, I would say at least 98% of our members are coming from non-technical backgrounds and they're transitioning into Salesforce careers. And it's it's a reality that can be, I think, realized. So you know, a lot of the things you mentioned are are so true coming from a lot of different backgrounds. But, you know, it's interesting because this person is a police dispatcher and we happen to have already a talent stacker member. Uh, Mason Knight was a police dispatcher and he was not in what I would consider, you know, that age range of like 50 plus, but he did transition directly from the exact same job role. And so uh, you can find that story from Mason Knight at talentstacker.com forward slash wins. And if you just click, you'll see there's a few different categories, but you can click on blue collar and you'll see Mason Knight in there and a few other videos that are specifically from blue collar transition stories into Salesforce career. And specifically for this question, I would also encourage you to look at another category on there, which is stories from members who are 40 plus years old. So that's sort of where we had the break point to say, these are people who may experience ageism because of their age and being later in their careers. So hopefully uh, that, you know, gives some really tangible things that you can go look at or, you know, spend some time with to get more comfortable with this. But yeah, we really appreciate this question. And I think it is going to help a lot of people understand how to make this transition. Okay. So we have one more last voicemail to answer. Let's go ahead and bring that up. Hey, Anita and Brad, this is Clint calling from Central Florida. First off, thanks so much for putting out an awesome podcast. It's been super helpful. And my question is, as a quote-unquote late bloomer, someone early 40s looking to make a career pivot, what are some pointers that a person that already has an established career could look at to help their Salesforce or start their Salesforce career and training? Thanks so much and look forward to the next season. Yeah, so this is a really good question. And obviously, there are some parallels from the last question we had about, you know, someone who is 50 plus looking to go from police dispatcher into Salesforce. And this is, you know, another person is a quote unquote late bloomer, really into me, this is a midlife transition, right? And even when I was in college, I looked at 
working from 22 to say 65. And I thought, seriously, like I'm going to go do something for 43 years. Like that's insane to think that I want at some point in my life, want to maybe do something different at some point during my career. That's not exactly the same thing that I picked when I was 22 years old. So to me, this is, this is normal. Like this should be normal to be 40 years old and go, I want to do something different. Now, how do I do that? So actionable advice. When you think about what you've been doing, so let's assume you've had a professional career up to this point. Now, some people may have careers where they're transitioning midlife that were very active on LinkedIn, where they have connections, where they have a network that may be a professional network that they could leverage to transition into a Salesforce career where they can get some traction early on in the process. And instead of having to start from ground zero on LinkedIn, they can start from maybe a few hundred connections or more. Uh, And that can help you get a little bit more traction, more comments, more engagement, more views on your posts. Now, the other thing I would say is what we've talked about repeatedly, I think on this episode and other episodes, but what are your transferable skills? And to Anita's point earlier, we all have them. I don't really care if you're in high school right now or if you're 50 plus years old, you have transferable skills. You just need to identify those. So think about what you're doing in your current role and building a really amazing LinkedIn profile. And the thing is, I would be looking for quantitative information. So if you've been in the same industry for say 10 plus years, then chances are you've actually had an impact on the business to some degree and find those things that really showcase you and highlight you like compared to other people in your role, how do you perform? And obviously be selective about the data that you pick from, right? Like if you're in sales, Maybe you get, you know, 15% higher close rates than other people working in your job role. Maybe you get promoted more quickly than other people at your company. Maybe you've been able to work on a project or work on an initiative that impacted a big change for the company that caused a lot of positive improvements to what was going on. And if you've been in that job role for 10 plus years, you may have to dig a little bit. It may not be what you're doing today. It may not be what you did in the last 12 months but it may be something you can draw from that you've done in the past that you can really showcase the value that you bring to a company because you're just built different or you have a knack for doing things in just a little bit more efficient way. Uh, The other thing is, of course, if you've managed teams, if you've worked with teams, if you've worked directly with customers and just your ability to communicate directly with customers, your ability to put customers or internal employees at ease. It's all those little soft skills that really add up and make sure that you're aware of them. That's the biggest issue. We all have these transferable skills. The biggest issue is we aren't aware of them. So we can't expect to make an employer aware of all these amazing skills that we have if we haven't even taken the time to figure out what they are. So for me, I'm going to harp on that and just say, if you're 40 plus years old, you have a lot of skills, whether you know it or not, and take some time. Dive into the community group on uh, you know, Salesforce for Everyone on Facebook and talk about what you've done in the past and ask people, what have you done to showcase the skills that you've had coming from completely different careers? And I think you'll really be surprised at how much the community is there to support you in this transition. So that's my not quick answer, Anita. So what, what are your thoughts? So I am in my mid-30s, not too far behind you, Clint. This is what I did. Took the free five-day challenge and followed it through. So if you want to get started, just head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start and sign up for the free five-day challenge where you can take those actions that Bradley mentioned, 
maybe like it'll be a little more concise <laughs> than what he just said, but it'll be a step-by-step guide on how to get started in your career. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. And thank you so much, everyone, for your questions. Um, we really appreciate the support of this community and the engagement from the community. Really, this is, you know, when I think about it, this is our podcast. And when I say our, I mean this entire Salesforce community's podcast, because we want to talk about things that are meaningful to you. And that's the whole purpose of these Q&A episodes is that we have ideas that we think are meaningful. Obviously, we've asked for advice on what we should be talking about on the show. But for us to talk directly about the things that you care about right now, the best way for you to get your questions to us is to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash voicemail and go ahead and send us a voice message and you could hear your voice on the show. If you don't want to hear your voice on the show and that makes you a little bit nervous, you can always just leave a written review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on and let us know what your questions are and we'll be sure to pull those and ask them on the show just like we did today. And with that, we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonca. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.